Here we go. I think I've fed all the social networks that I'm involved in, except maybe Ello, because, oops, Ello. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hi, uh, welcome to Montreal Sauce, the show where we talk to makers, creators, and people passionate about their work, life, and other rad new digital things that we do in our digital world. Um, my name's Chris, and I'm in Edmonton. I had to pause to realize that, but hey, there you go. <laughs> uh, and my friend Chuckling is a co-host and undisputed king of jazz hands. It's Paul. Hello. <laughs> Paul is I joining. shook the jazz hands while I said that. <laughs> I was waiting for that, actually. I have that in my notes. Wait for him to do that. Uh, <laughs> I feel Paul, like there, there should be some kind of a uh, special pre- presenter's voice when you do that. Like, Hello. And then there's jazz hands go with that, obviously. Hello, my baby. Hello, my baby. <laughs> um, so Paul is in Michigan. I'm in Edmonton. So what's with the Montreal Sauce title? Well, that's a really great opportunity for you to check out our past episodes on MontrealSauce.com <laughs> or follow the link on that page to iTunes. We explain the podcast name a few times in the early shows. Um, so as Sir Mix-a-Lot would say, enjoy the back catalog. Um, (laughs) enough about us i need to introduce our guest this evening better yet i will let her introduce herself so i don't botch something as simple as her name um (laughs) with us tonight is uh jen jen tell the audience uh why you get up in the morning and uh your favorite space vehicle (laughs) okay um my name is Jen Montes. Um, I work for an animation studio. Um, they make a certain raunchy comedy series called Archer on FX. Um, my favorite space vehicle, um, uh, you know, it, it would have to be the one that had the uh, the dog in it. What was that oh. one's name? The oh, with uh, Lone Star. <laughs> Lone Star was the was the pilot, right? <laughs> oh, space balls. Yes. Um, and why, space, can't I, why can't space I think puppy of that? vehicle is the vehicle for me? <laughs> nice. Okay, so we've established that um, she does work for an animation studio, and she hates dogs um, and wants to shoot them into space. Uh, so. <laughs> Um, no, but in an effort not to be rude to, to Jen, um, I will tell Jen the origin of our show name. Um, pretty much everything else was, uh, including jazz hands with Paul was taken. So <laughs> <laughs> we settled on Montreal sauce. Um, but you are already, I have to say, even before we even start talking, you are my favorite guest because of the comprehensive emails you sent. It uh, oh. saved me lots of stalking. I mean, research time. <laughs> you know, and, and and I I decided to write you a kind of longish email because I know that I'm kind of scattered on the interwebs. Um, my website basically has my Twitter and my GitHub on it and nothing else. Um, and my Twitter <laughs> is kind of scattered as well. So I knew you were going to have a hard time. And so I decided to help you out. Yeah, I that was I was going to say like you are awesome because you are in control of your personal data online. <laughs> <laughs> 
Personal that, data is important, kids. Yes, totally. Um, actually, uh, do you know Mr. He's listening. He's in the or he might not be listening, but he's moonlighting in the uh, chat room right now. Mr. Uh, Jacob Cook from ArcOS, who was previously on Cupcake. I do. I do. I actually had the chance to work with him um, making a, an animation for him, actually. Um, so, yeah, he's he's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. We're actually I I've. Yeah, she did the video for the crowdfunding campaign. Boom. That's all right. All right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he um, I brought him up just because I um, wrangled him to coming back on in a couple of weeks so that we could talk uh, privacy online. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm excited for that. Just you made me think of it with your control of your personal data. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, even now I'm kind of unhappy with the setup because obviously uh, I I do feel very scattered because, you know, you put your statuses on Twitter and you put your, you know, uh, events on Facebook. And, you know, we're we're kind of splitting ourselves up in all these different places. And I wish there was something more comprehensive. uh, we're we're still waiting. I don't know. It's so dangerous, right? Because I feel like Facebook is Facebook is to me. I would like to joke that Facebook is the new AOL. Like people sometimes didn't even know like what the internet was back when AOL was big. They just thought it was AOL. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, when, you're totally right. It's it's when, like its own little walled garden. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and so. You know, when you say, like, if there was something comprehensive, like, that would be cool. But at the same time, it gets kind of scary because then, like, you have no other options. I mean, I, well, I think I was just going to say. I was I know going that, more for comprehensive to you, but that could be federated. Like, I could. Yes. Yeah. So I could. So everything that pertains to me would live on my domain. Um, and then if I want to talk to my friend, there would be some magic techno sauce that allowed me (laughs) to talk to them without needing to sign up to, you know, you know, xstartup.com. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I figured that's the direction you were going, but it just sort of wanted to clarify for listeners because (laughs) it is kind of a dangerous road. Like the idea of something federated that everyone can just talk to each other with, Mm -hmm. which is great. Like that's, like a great example, well, not a terribly great example because it's very dated, but it's email. Like it doesn't matter what right. service you're using. We can all communicate. So Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When I, um, see, uh, when I see like hashtags in commercials and things like that now, I'm watching TV and I see hashtags in a commercial. I, I just think back to AOL and how every commercial used to say, look us up on AOL with this keyword instead yes. of using domain names. Yeah. Yeah, they would say AOL keyword, you know. Yeah. Montreal yeah. sauce. That's know. right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to look that up. Um, <laughs> so, totally off subject, which is what I'm good for, but uh, have either, I think Paul has been watching, but uh, Jen, have you been watching that Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt uh, show? I have. I just watched one today. Um, I haven't gone through the whole thing. Um, I think I'm by 
episode uh, five or six. It's it's pretty good. I I really like it. We're probably in about the same place then, because that's about how far I got, and then I just haven't I haven't gone back to it. Not because I don't want to, but just for time and trying to get squeeze some other shows in as well. Yeah. But yeah. same here, same here. I'm in the same place, but I just. When you started, when Paul started mentioning hashtags, I just wanted to giggle because the, you know, at some point in the show, she says like, hash um, brown, hash, hash brown. brown. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I just died. Like, I, just, I just wanted yes. that to be my hashtag forever and ever now. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and I think I like this show more for those little micro jokes than yes. for the overall thing. Uh, the other day I woke up laughing to myself of there's this great joke where Kimmy is uh, picking up Mrs. Voorhees son at his school. Um, but apparently the school didn't have Kimmy on their list of like approved picker uppers. And so the joke was that they had been marking him up as abducted every day. <laughs> <laughs> And I just, there's just so many yeah. <laughs> tiny jokes like that, that they don't even pay much attention to in the show. But I just, they're so chuckle worthy. That, uh, those, those particular jokes remind me very much of, uh, of 30 Rock because yeah. that was, that was what I enjoyed about 30 Rock as well. The, the mm -hmm. overall plots of each episode were kind of ancillary to the little mini jokes that are all spread throughout there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and 30, 30 Rock was great, too. For sure. Yes, we just finished it, uh, the wife and I. We I watched most of it when it was on TV, but she was, she didn't, so we went through it all on Netflix because that's what you do as a couple. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we just finished 30 Rock and started on Kimmy. So there's my life. <laughs> Boom. So... You are – so are you still – you have it on your cupcake. Uh, let's see. Your cupcake says you are an illustrator, but are you still an illustrator for the company or no? I'm actually a software engineer now. Um, it, it's it's kind of weird how that happened. I, I was hired <laughs> as an illustrator and I was doing the illustration thing for two years. So I started in season three, episode 303. Um, and I did, uh, season three and season four as an illustrator. Um, but around the end of season four, I, um, I don't know. I, I don't know if it was that I was getting restless or who knows, I, I'm not sure, but I started noticing that there was a lot of menial tasks around the studio that could very easily be automated. And well, <laughs> it's kind of a funny story. And I, at some point I was walking to my desk and I noticed that my, uh, my lead illustrator was counting lines by hand in like uh, an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> um, and I said, I, I have something about this. You could you could very easily make a formula so that you can count whatever it was that he was counting. Um, so, yeah, I f at first I started doing little formulas in Excel um, having to do with documentation because, you know, each episode will have uh, at least a thousand files just 
for characters, there are seven, 700 files that we go through. Um, and so uh, all of that requires extensive documentation to keep straight. And so I started helping out with that. And then I started going into scripting of um, our actual illustration tools, uh, doing just boring stuff like renaming all the layers, you know, appending something to the end of the layer name. Um, you know, if a layer has this in its name, uh, mark it as invisible. Um, and, you know, over time, my, I guess, body of work started growing to the point where I had actually made an animation script in Illustrator um, to be to let the illustrators cycle through uh, a hand movement or a body movement inside Illustrator without having to create a separate GIF in mm-hmm. Photoshop. Um, and so from there, it just kind of became my thing. So that's my story. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just giggling because there's your cat walking around. Or no. <laughs> Maybe I should get her off my desk. <laughs> Come on, mama. Mama. It's okay. I We've had you. many cats on the show. It's true. <laughs> okay. No, I just I was wondering like your voice was going a little bit fuzzy here and there. I just wondered. I was like, oh, I wonder if she's walking around or something, <laughs> <laughs> brushing the tail against the wire, creating a nice static. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, she does that. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, I can imagine like how time saving just the idea of like running through a regular motion in Illustrator would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the the thing with um, with Archer is that they it's a very particular animation style. It's not you know the the flash style that you normally see. Um, mm-hmm. It's more of a puppet based animation, and actually all of the animation is done in After Effects. Um, but the illustrators will. Uh, build characters in, in an illustrator file and put each body part in a separate layer. Um, and then all of those layers are then imported into After Effects and then they rig up the character and animate it. So it involves, you know, every every body file will have 100, 100 I would say about 100 layers. Head files often have 100 to 150 layers. Um, and all of that takes time to kind of sort through and I don't know, I get, maybe I was just bored out of my mind of having to pick through all those layers. Um, so I just started making scripts. Yeah. After effects is, uh, (laughs) after effects, there seems to be no end to the amount of layers you can throw in there, but it's just becomes so tedious to navigate. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's when like. I'm so glad that my um, my class, when I was uh, taking that in university, she was just teaching out of a book. And I'm not sure that that particular, she was, uh, I think she was a visiting professor filling in while someone was on sabbatical, but I'm not sure she was 100% uh, with After Effects herself, but the book, like, 
focused a lot on nesting. And so mm-hmm. like whenever I do a project now, it's just like an automatic thing with me. Like, okay, this is going to move and do its own thing. So bam, it's done. Let's start a new composition and just keep nesting things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just, yeah. Just kind of module, modularize it to kind of yes. let it be, put, push it out of your mind. <laughs> totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think, it's kind of funny because After Effects is such a, at first it was such a daunting piece of software. Um, and I think that's what makes probably a lot of the, unfortunately, but true, but um, a lot of the Adobe software uh, is good because it's just sort of like basic. <laughs> like like you are the creator. If you open up the After Effects interface right now and you're listening and you've never opened it before, you're like, what the hell is this? Yeah, <laughs> so many little panels and, you know, buttons and widgets and sliders. Yeah, yeah there's no like, there's no wizard either that says, hey, you're here to create this. Right. Okay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you just get thrown in. Yeah, it's kind of, um, oh, it's been a while since uh, I've done audio because Paul does it all, but uh What's the big audio one that we learned in school? Uh, Pro Tools. Yeah, Pro Tools, like what? They have like four tools in the toolbar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the rest is up to you. Good luck. <laughs> everything everything else is hidden inside of the digital mixer. <laughs> That's like 17 layers of panels deep. Yeah. So, oh, we have a question from um, the chat room. Uh Oh, he's jumping ahead. This is, I already have this. Come on, Jacob. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, Jacob uh, wants to know, which I think I know the answer, but you're the one he's asking. So he wants to know if it's the same studio that did Frisky Dingo. Yes. Although <laughs> that studio technically, uh, it's the same people, but it's a different yeah. entity, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, no, cause that, I, I, yeah, that studio was called 7030 and yeah, it was headed up by Adam Reed and Matt Thompson. Um, and they did C-Lab 2021 and Frisky Dingo. Um, and after, I, I, I imagine that this has to do with contracts and things like after they, um, weren't making cartoons anymore for Cartoon Network, they reorganized as a separate, as a different company. Um, which is called Floyd County Productions. Uh, yeah, I listen to um, – you should probably continue to listen to us if you're enjoying the show. But um, <laughs> at your convenience <laughs> at another time, you can listen to um, the Nerdist uh, writers panel because um, both Matt Thompson and Casey Willis were on a show recently talking about Archer. So, yeah, yeah. I actually I, heard that show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So did I. It was research. my my um my frisky dingo question was a little bit different actually it wasn't really a question so thank you jacob um mine was more of a suggestion like maybe you could burst into adam reed's office and ask him why there's no frisky dingo blu-ray um (laughs) (laughs) well i mean like i said there there's all kinds of contractual weirdness um so, and that is not my job. <laughs> um, so I, I'm sure that people in suits have their reasons. Mm, I don't know. Sure. <laughs> we'll go with that. 
Yes. Oh yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> Leave that to the uh, the the CWO, the contractual weirdness officer. Yes, <laughs> that I'm sure you know. Every company needs one. That's <laughs> true. Mm. Ooh, I found my I found my niche in the corporate world. <laughs> contractual weirdness <laughs> contractual officer. Weird. <laughs> that I sounds like important. At least in the when you leave it as the uh, the abbreviation, it sounds important. <laughs> right, See, right. I, Puts you in the C suite. It's good. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say I'm not sure that I like CW because people might confuse you with the terrible network. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you might be right. Some rebranding is in order. <laughs> so. You're the CW at the company. Are you in charge of all the vampire shows? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and werewolves don't shortchange me. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, um, that was uh, a very in-depth answer to uh, the animation question. Wow. Um, I was gonna. So you- I was gonna ask: Is there? Is there essentially a native scripting language that's built into Illustrator that you're using to do that with, or is it some? Is it like an external tool uh, it or is language? Basically, it's basically JavaScript with okay. a few um, classes added in to be able to access Illustrator objects. Okay, gotcha. um, the it's it's along uh, the lines of ActionScript almost. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, and sometimes it frustrates me because, you know, it, uh, I feel like it doesn't expose the things that I need it to expose when I need them. Um, but you know, for, for what it is, apparently I, this illustrator, illustrator scripting thing is not a thing that a lot of people do. Um, because when you look in, you know, the Adobe forums, uh, you get a lot of blank stares. of like, you want to do what? No, go away. <laughs> this is an art forum, please. So. Yeah, that's, it took me a long time because I can do very, very, very rudimentary, probably nothing at all because I haven't had the need to in After Effects with scripting. But like, yeah, to find like people to help with scripting and even in After Effects was like, people were like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, there was, at, finally at least there was After like, Effects, at least After Effects, it's structured in a way where there's a lot of stuff to that's available to be scripted, but in illustrator, eh, not so much. You kind of have to uh, finoodle. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, if you know what you're doing and there is, I think like, I think there might be like aescripts.com now or something where like people share stuff like this is how you make something bounce. It's like mm-hmm. been so great <laughs> to find <laughs> those kind of things. And then like, um, but it's really interesting to me to like try to take it apart and be like, oh, what if I change this? And then like absolutely nothing happens <laughs> be- because uh, yeah. um, I am back with uh, I'm still back with you and your Tandy and learning basic. So, <laughs> oh, my gosh, my Tandy. See, I that tan- I had a Tandy 1000. I got it in. 1989 or 1990 and 
I, I'm almost sure that it was a handy hand-me-down from someone else. <laughs> like my dad uh, got it from, you know, someone at work or something like that. Because, you know, I, I come from a military family. And at that point, I'm pretty sure that they couldn't afford a computer. Um, but one appeared at my house somehow. Um, and there were... It came with a case of, I want to say, at least a hundred, you know, of those five and a half inch floppies. Um, (laughs) And for the longest time, I would just pick a floppy at random and stick it in and see what happened. Um, But yeah, after a while, I got bored with that. And my dad got me a, a, a book about learning how to program in basic from the flea market. And I did some, you know, I mean, I I was like eight or nine at the time. So it, it was not rocket science or anything like that. Um, <laughs> it was very much along the lines of, uh, you know, choose your own adventure or, you know, stuff sure. like that. Yeah. Um, whatever. Whatever, Jen. We were hackers. Just tell everyone. <laughs> like me, Jen would like go to the local Sears and she would type in like 10, like Jen was here, then 20, <laughs> go to 10 and hit run and walk away. Uh, we were badass. <laughs> no, no. I, and like I said, I was a kid. I did not feel badass. It was just, but I think it was really useful to to not be afraid of the computer. And that's something that I think a lot of people still haven't gotten over. They they treat computers like they're going to explode. Yes. So Yeah. So being exposed to a computer and kind of getting a feel for how it works and you know, poking and prodding and figuring out that it does not actually explode was really useful. True. True. Yeah. I, um, I feel the same way. Like it definitely helped. Like it was just funny because like our parents knew nothing about computers. So they were all like amazed when you could do something so simple as (laughs) the things we were doing. Yeah. 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 I, I do remember that, that my parents would like, they were beaming and you could tell on their faces that they were so proud. And obviously that gives you the confidence to keep going. But they were so proud. But when you look back, it was like nothing. <laughs> it was, it was, you know, you didn't delete the the files on the floppy. And so they're proud of that. <laughs> yeah. I remember typing in like something from either a magazine or it came in the manual, like a little program to try and it totally didn't work. <laughs> and so then like my mom feeling guilty like was like okay let me look at it and then she was like you typed it in right there's something wrong with this we should write the company and then i went back and like troubleshot the code and i was like oh this is going to a line that doesn't exist let me fix that and then it worked <laughs> yeah. and my mom thought i was like a friggin' genius <laughs> yeah yeah and that and that as as a kid as a young person that's important like to solve a problem that you know the big people in your life can't figure out that's crazy yeah and then it's like um you know now 20 or 30 years later i look at that after effects code and i'm like why isn't this working i i don't know 
Well, <laughs> there, you know, eh, it's just a complexity thing where, you know, you had to have kept at it for all this time to, to keep up with all the it's shenanigans. True. There is I, – I do think though that there's something to be said for the experimentation like at that age that like between probably 6 and 15 or so, you get to – you get the chance to start playing with computers, making them do interesting things um, that – seem like, you know, almost like you're conjuring a dark magic. But when you mm -hmm. kind of go through the code line by line, it's like, no, all of these things are explicit instructions and it makes sense. Right. You're, you're writing an algorithm, right? So it's all uh, it's all logical stuff. And to your point, you're learning that you can experiment with this machine. And if you do it wrong, the machine itself is not going to, you know, explode into blue smoke. It's just going to, you know, stare back at you like, I don't understand what you're asking me to do. And you right. try again and you keep troubleshooting it. Um, and if you go back like 50 years in our culture, the people who were doing that were the people who were like uh, grease monkeys. They were kids who were helping their dad fix their car. And when they grew up, they grew up to become mechanical engineers or, or mechanics who, who had experimented with these like tools and making things in the shed and doing that kind of stuff. And that was an entire generation of people who were not afraid of the machine that's parked in their garage because they experimented on it when they were a kid and they learned that you're not going to break it just by banging on it a little bit. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And they were the pioneers. I mean, and now you can, you know, learn about mechanical engineering at, you know, your college of choice, but I feel like you absorb more if you actually have a thing and bang on it a little bit. Right. I mean, we often learn by making mistakes. Like that's how we learn. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, if you don't take that first step, then you're not going to learn anything new. Yeah, exactly. So don't be afraid to bang look on stupid. things. <laughs> <laughs> look stupid as you bang on things. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I like that. <laughs> That's a good slogan. <laughs> uh, um. <clears throat> So, yeah, Paul just mentioned uh, how people become um, mechanical engineers. I think you were once an electrical engineer. Is that correct? Yes, yes. I actually went to school for electrical engineering um, to the University of Puerto Rico. Um, and that decision was, I don't know, I, I can't say that I really sacrificed anything because at that time I was very into art and drawing and, you know, uh, during middle school and high school, religiously, I would take a, uh, some kind of art or painting, drawing, whatever class after school, um, every day for, you know, two or three hours. So I was very into art at that point. Um, but I was also really good at math and like, I was, I'm still very analytical and I like to solve problems. And so, I don't know, uh, engineering seemed like a safe career choice, you know, uh, 
things that <laughs> that are it, it was the responsible decision, okay? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but again, I don't regret it at all because I learned so much and, and I, and I did, Oh, I did really <laughs> like, hold on a second. No my, worries. I can't. Okay. <laughs> my, I did really like engineering school. Um, you know, just the lab component of it and, you know, having, being able to build circuits, um, and do cool stuff with that. Um, but I could also take art electives and do that on the side also. So I don't feel like I needed to sacrifice anything. So you have like a future plans to create like these awesome digital art installations? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Using I actually all your knowledge. Uh, I have helped local artists when they when they have, um, you know, some kind of technical um, requirement. Um, like for example, there's a local artist named Pondra Williams and she is fantastic. She does ceramics and just beautiful, beautiful work. And she wanted to do an installation that involved, um, uh, pulsating lights that, um, were the, the pulsations were supposed to be reflective of like natural rhythms like breathing and heartbeats and that kind of thing um so i actually helped her um you know source the components and write a little thing on a microcontroller to to actually control the light sequence um i helped her with her solar panels because she wanted everything to be like <laughs> self-sustainable you know sure um so there, there is room in the arts for technical people, for sure. Yeah, the lines are definitely blurring these days. It's kind of interesting. I, I'm the kind of person who always gets like caught up in like how to do things. <laughs> mm-hmm. So as when I went to film school, I was like, well, you know, I have to write a script or be able to do something that I can do. As a college student, I'm not going to be able to, you know, do a story about how these guys drive Corvettes or, you know, like, and so I was always like sort of like limiting myself. Hmm. Um, and uh, and so I think that there's something to be said for people who like don't even think like that because they're just like, why, why can't you do this? I'll just find someone to help me or, you know, that's the best kind of stuff is when you collaborate with someone and right. find new things that you can accomplish together. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I feel like the arts is, is still very underrepresented as far as like tools for collaboration. Um, unfortunately, artists still have the idea that they're going to be, you know, alone in their endeavor. And I feel like you, you can create, you know, uh, much more meaningful and at least for larger audiences, something more meaningful if you have the opportunity to collaborate with other people. Because um, if you look at, I mean, every show on TV is a giant collaboration. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so, unfortunately, as, there aren't tools because obviously a big studio can um, hire a programmer or, you know, buy 
some off-the-shelf tools to be able to assist on the collaboration in-house. Um, but there's no good way for artists to do that on their own if they're not associated with a big company. Um, so I, I do feel like the field is still wide open for uh, people to tackle those kinds of problems. Yeah, I'm I'm always like just from doing the little things that I've done, whether it be in uh, video and film to, you know, watching like TV shows and like the major motion pictures, it always like blows my mind to think of all the different departments that have to work together, especially today with all the crazy CGI. We had a guest on previously that talked about that, but just it blows my mind that, you know, there's like probably six different like digital studios working on like one scene in Spider-Man and somehow it all comes together and it looks like Mm -hmm. it fits, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And think about like the kind of coordination that you need, like uh, not just communication tools, but like asset management and, you know, just uh, an incredible amount of stuff that they have available that, you know, your regular student, you know, coming out of art school doesn't and say you have these grand ideas, how are you going to produce them if you don't have a good way to get people to come together and basically share your vision and have people, I don't know, poke away at it in their free time? Because that's the thing. If you look at um, the the programming space, that has had an explosion of development. Uh largely because of uh, distributed version control tools that, you know, let people just uh, work on, you know, a a tiny part of the program and then convert and contribute it back upstream. Um, And this doesn't have to be your full-time thing. You just do it, you know, when you have a moment. And that has created tools that people rely on every day, um, you know, And so uh, I don't think that there is any similar process for creating culture and like cultural objects. And so, yeah, there's still work to be done. Have you um, have you seen the film Iron Sky? I haven't. Um, It's a comedy, but it was... um, not only crowdfunded, but it was crowdsourced. So um, it's kind of like, sounds like something like a model like that you're talking about would be great for artists. But um, so they just said, here's what we want to do. And then they let people contribute like plot ideas. They let, they let people, um, they actually use people to like, source like a lot of the cgi stuff like oh we want this kind of a background and so like fans went and did Mm -hmm. that (laughs) Mm -hmm. so it's a it's a really great story like you can watch the movie which i found pretty funny but um also just reading the story behind it is like amazing to find out that they're just this whole community of people got together and you know they either democratically voted something or the director (laughs) said no i don't like that you know but Right. Um, it's it's a really great story. There's also I haven't the one thing I haven't seen and I've actually joined the community, but I 
I've never contributed because you have to take that first step. I was nervous about that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, that hit record TV, which I don't know what channel it's on because who has who has the cable anymore? Right, right. No, but I know exactly what you're talking about. I actually checked that out and I, I don't know. I felt like it was a really – it was still a very manual process to get – something organized like you had this person that was in charge of you know uh, creating uh, an asset list and then they would manually track you know who is doing what um so like i said i i feel like there's still a lot of work to be done and they and it's great i did actually manage to watch an episode of those and they and they do a great job but i feel like a lot more people would get involved if it was easier Right. I see what you're saying. Sure. But uh, so you're talking to uh, us as an engineer, obviously. Just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was my, my segue because I was well, trying to fi- figure out what exactly an electrical engineer did. Like, what did you do when you were an electrical well, engineer? Electrical engineering actually is a really, really broad field. Um, you can work on uh, power distribution, um, and transmission. Um, you could work on, you know, uh, small electronics, um, control systems, which is, uh, basically how a factory, um, sets off certain, or, (laughs) uh, it's, it's how you set up a system so that you have sensors and actuators so that you can basically automate a factory. Um, uh, there's, uh, the computer, computer vision and, oh my gosh, like the, the electrical engineering field is actually really, really vast. Yeah. Um, I was going to say my, my, father-in-law's an electrical engineer and he basically specializes in like rf uh radio frequency modeling yeah that's right that field of electromagnetics is giant also as you know designing antennas or ah, just there's a lot of stuff (laughs) so there there's a good um there there's a lot of opportunity to for you to kind of find your Thing. And I guess that's what attracted me to that. Well, actually, at, at first I started as a mechanical engineer because I was more attracted to the like the physicality, I think. Um, but I ended up in electrical because there was more more computers were involved, to be honest. I still like computers. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and yeah, you told me in your email that you there are things in space that you've touched because of that, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I did work at Boeing Satellite Systems for almost a year. Um, That was in California. And I worked at the Integration and Test Complex. And basically what they do is write a bunch of scripts and test them against the satellite to make sure that all of the systems um, are functioning normally, or they'll simulate faults so that um, you know that y- your redundant systems are coming up correctly um, and stuff like that. Um, uh, it, it was very fun. It was very fun. I I just wasn't really attracted to the idea of uh, working in a giant company. There, 
there was this moment where I, I, they had tasked me to like push around some desks because they needed to do something. And it's like, I can understand that because I was a very junior person there. So I can move around desks, but there was also an engineer with me moving desks that had been there for 20 years. And so I don't know. I, I think I saw myself in that guy. <laughs> and I said, I don't want to be pushing around desks in 20 years. At some point it you're is, like, can I, can I program the rover to move the desks around? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, and plus I didn't like California. I, it, hmm. the, the weather is perfect. I will say that. Um, I was in the Los Angeles area near um, El Segundo. And the weather is absolutely perfect year round, but uh, the you have to you know drive fifteen minutes to go anywhere, and you have to get on the freeway, and I, I don't know. I don't like driving very much, and so Los Angeles is not the city for me. <laughs> wow, El Segundo—that's how you say it. Yeah, I've been lied to all this time. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not sure. How how would you pronounce it? Oh, there's the um, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the group, but they had their jam back in the '90s. I left my wallet in El Segundo. Oh well, I mean, <laughs> it's just that uh, I could totally see how people pronounce it that way. But if you're pronouncing it in Spanish, that's how you would say it. No, it, I totally trust you. I, yeah, <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> I was just like, wow. I, I know exactly the place you're talking about because of a rap song. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm like, why can't I think it's like an A, a tribe called Quest? Oh, A. yeah. Yeah. Hooray for DuckDuckGo. <laughs> um, yeah, big companies. So, I mean... The animation company has been growing since the success of Archer, but it still has that family feel that that you like, I'm assuming. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and just just thinking of my own transition within the company would have been impossible somewhere like Boeing because I just decided, you know, one day that maybe I'm going to take an hour to do this script. And my boss would be like, sure, that sounds useful. Um, and it just kind of grew organically. Whereas in a larger company, I don't think I would have been able to do that. Yeah. You, you get into like, aside from just like, Hey, we, we want people to be successful. You, you also get into that. Oops. You stepped on someone else's toes. Like, this is my job. Right. You can't do right. that. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it's a person and, you've never even met before. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I actually, um, I've been watching that, I think, what is it, like, Halt, uh, is it Halt Control Fire or Halt Catch Fire, that AMC show? Um, so much for me watching, I don't even know the title of it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's about the uh, the the 80s and the computer uh, market and uh, bringing a computer to market against Apple and IBM and there's a character on there and someone was like, you know, we really wanted you at IBM. And she's like, oh yeah, you know, here I'm actually writing bios, 
but uh, at IBM, I could have been getting coffee for the guy who gets papers and does like a personal assistant to the guy who writes the bio. <laughs> yeah, no. And and she'd be right. Exactly. <laughs> or pushing desks. Yes. Pushing desks. <laughs> That's a good story. Pushing desks. I like that. <laughs> That's what I do every day. Push desks. <laughs> Uh, so, um, so you're really enjoying the sort of prog progression you made to software design or yeah. are you missing the illustration? No, not yet. Um, the, you know, I have other outlets, I think, um, cause at the end of the day, Archer isn't mine, you know, you're still, making a thing for someone else. And so when it comes to artistic expression, um, uh, you could make the case that I have more creative control in my programming work than I do in my illustration work. So right now I'm in a really good place, to be honest. <laughs> sure. No, I totally get that. It's it's weird. Like lately I've been working in Photoshop every day, but I'm working on cleaning up someone else's photos. So it's not exactly like, I'm like, Ooh, I like what I did there, but it's still not my own at the end. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I completely understand that. Um, but yeah, it sounds like a really fun place to be. I mean, you, when I asked you to be on the show, you said, oh, Thursdays are bad for me because we all get together and watch the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it, it's there is a bar that is very close to where we work. And so they have been hosting the episodes when they come on. And so we all just get together down there and have a few beers and, you know, laugh and scream and yell at things that were hard and <laughs> so it, yeah it is really fun it, and everybody there um i think what's important is that everybody there like respects the the show they they like the show as a show not just because they work there yeah it says a lot that everybody takes the time to get together and there's not someone who's like oh I've been with you guys all day. I'm not going <laughs> to, you know. Right. And, and and to your point, the respects the show that actually wants to watch it, even if maybe they're just sitting quietly waiting to see if anyone laughs at the thing they drew. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, actually, you'd be surprised at that. There, you know, Adam, Adam Reed is a genius. Uh at the same time, he he is very strict about what is on the show. And now this uh, this season, there was kind of a non-scripted Easter egg hunt, um, which I feel like was <laughs> unprecedented because normally Adam Reed is extremely um, – I mean, it's his baby, you know, and uh, – at the end of the day, when, when you look at any other comedy show on TV, they normally have a bullpen of writers and, you know, they'll take turns on an episode or all of them will write for an episode at the same time. Archer is 
just Adam Reed. He does every episode. And so, you know, uh, it's his baby. And so as far as sneaking jokes in, that that actually rarely happens. Uh, maybe <laughs> in, you know, a, a, a rarely seen background thing or something like that. <laughs> um, but no, most of the time, you know, he sees all of the character designs, all the props, all the background designs, and he signs off on everything. Yeah, to your point, there's a great story on that uh, writer's panel where I think it wasn't Matt or Casey who was talking about how they made like a talking, I think it was a talking bowl of salsa or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Adam was like, no, I love it. (laughs) It's hilarious, but that's not Archer. We're not doing that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there. And I I feel like I've heard... Uh, a few stories from character designers that kind of want to sneak their their own little joke on a character at some point, like something in the costume or, you know, something like that. And it gets immediately shot down. Um, so you kind of learn that this is Archer is great as it is and he writes it. So get in line. <laughs> <laughs> Come up with your own show, character designer. <laughs> If you can make one that's half as good as Archer, you'll find somebody to buy it. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. That'd be that'd be really like sort of uh is meta the right word if someone like uh rescripted like Archer cuz that's basically what Adam did um him and Matt did with uh C Lab. Yeah. <laughs> they they took an existing show and then rescripted it. So I don't Which think is, that to make it even more absurd. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's true. It, it would have to go the opposite way and make it serious. <laughs> like it's just another day at the office. <laughs> it's a Spanish that tiger on your desk. <laughs> <laughs> a Spanish soap opera. I like it. <laughs> just lots of long pauses on the characters' faces. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> It seems like every time I walk into this room, something inappropriate is happening. I'm leaving again. <laughs> that scene's in every episode somewhere. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening to another episode of Montreal Sauce. This was part one uh, with our guest, Jen Montez. Uh, you can find her online at jenmontez.com, J-E-N-M-O-N-T-E-S. That's Jen Montez. Dot com um, or on Twitter at Jennifer Montez, uh, which is, you know, Jennifer all spelled out J E N N I F E R M O N T E S. Uh, or uh, alternatively, you could find one of the hosts of the show that's me, Paul, or uh, Chris uh, at Sick Days. Uh, so there's several places that you can find us on the web. Um, you probably already know, uh, so just go to the website, uh, montrealsauce.com, to find uh, links to myself and Chris. And uh, stay tuned next week. We will have part two with Jen Montez, uh, and we'll have more uh, probably inappropriate commentary about uh, animation and programming. It'll be lovely. And uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>